Hello and welcome to episode 42 of Booze Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Ollie. And we are going to have a short intro today, I think. <laughs> we just have a few <laughs> things to talk about and we're just going to jump right into it. for us today <laughs> hey some of them are like 20 pages so i'm calling this short <laughs> i think the longest mine ever been have been like six but it also depends on formatting too like how you format your notes yeah and i, we, I always interrupt you a bunch so yours always seem a lot longer because i don't shut up so <laughs> no i love and i encourage that i like the conversation conversation based stories uh it helps me and I'm gonna set and I'm gonna pretend I'm in yoga today because I didn't go to yoga and it looks like it's gonna be dark by the time we finish. Uh, I don't know what I'm gonna do for a workout, but anyways, my intention for this episode is to not say like every five seconds because uh, me too. Editing like like every like fucking like time <laughs> is such a pain in the ass, and I hate myself. When I was editing it last week, last Sunday, I was boiling inside. I was so mad at myself, and I told myself, if I hear one more damn like, I'm going to sleep. I'm <laughs> just putting it out. I didn't. I didn't. I edited it fully. And I apologize for my crunching in the background. <laughs> I was munching on some hot Cheetos, and you can hear, and I am they so They know, because I scolded you multiple times. <laughs> All you said was, I thought you were going to put the Cheetos away. Not, hey, fatty, shut up, and put the Cheetos away. No, never. <laughs> <laughs> I need accountability. Uh, so, also, on that note, I promise this, this goes into something that's not really booze-related, but booze-fitness-related. <laughs> um, I have been slacking, slacking on the book club, and I did put a discussion out um, so we can kind of get our juices going on the book. And Don't say juices going, that's gross. Juices, juices flowing. <laughs> juices, book juices flowing. I'm going to say it now. Um. Oh, gross. <laughs> I'm going to rename it the Juicy Boozy Book Club. <laughs> oh, do you see my face right now? Yes, Stop. I do. But I, it did slip my mind because, unfortunately, my grandfather passed away this week due to this lovely virus. And I called my grandma today. I FaceTimed her today, um, you know, just to see her physically, see her. And she is she we you know we prayed and she was very appreciative of me calling but through the tears and through the sadness she's i'll just this is what i told her i said in spanish i said "Wilita, like i hope you take care of yourself like i know it's sometimes hard to remember to eat even but you know you need to eat for your health and she said well, if you can just give me some of your appetite, I think I'll be fine. <laughs> Grandma's. And I didn't know what to say, but thank you for that reminder because I need more of that in my life. I should probably just call her every day. And I think, like, that was my dinner. Those hot Cheetos were my dinner. Um, <laughs> and it was this much of the bag it was the bare bottom of the bag and i'm fine with it i'm just kidding i'm not condoning not eating that is not what i'm here to do uh it was just a, a funny part grandma of my the day. grandmotherly love <laughs> yes <laughs> so i i accept those um uh, those comments to kick me into gear <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you need it you, you hate to hear but sometimes you need it mm -hmm. i know my mom every time i'm like oh, that hurts but it's true <laughs> there's a border between 
doing it and then creating a complex and doing it, like, hearing it and, like, okay, you're right, you're right, you know? I'll get my shit together. (laughs) (sighs) Um, But anyways, for anyone who's just tuning in and is still listening, (laughs) we talk about everything macabre and creepy and paranormal. And sometimes we talk about puppies. Ooh, yes. So... (laughs) Oh, uh, we're going to turn this into an adoption uh, adoption segment real quick. <laughs> I, this past Sunday, I went with a friend who is very involved in rescuing animals. She is a saint. Uh, she, yeah, does it all the time. So she has two animals that she's fostering. Uh, one is a cat that is nine years old for all you cat lovers. And with my experience with Kitty, y'all all know, uh, Salem you we you know we you know how she is but this cat is like (laughs) this cat is in my eyes perfect uh the cat that she is watching um it is nine months old nine months nine years old and it is a ginger an orange cat an orange female cat which supposedly that's supposed to be rare but she's also long-haired and has this weird thing with her ears like they're I don't know scarred or like shorter it looks like somebody did something to her ears which is really sad but she's the most gentle cat and she's just sits on perches on the windowsill and that's just what she does and she's dog friendly so if you need a cat in your life please adopt this wonderful angel if i didn't have kitty i would probably take that cat i would definitely take that cat <laughs> and she has a puppy a bulldog puppy uh millie is her name Who is a- adorable she is super cute she's just the biggest squish like she's just like skin she's flappy she's so flappy i have like a (laughs) slow-mo of her flaps and it is so cute but with millie she has uh what did i say spinabitha which i thought was something like i thought was fake i thought that's a fake thing but it is not a fake thing um it's a result from breeding Whenever breeders try to get a specific color, apparently, they, you know, overbreed. And then as a result, they have complications. So Millie is in diapers and probably will be for the rest of her life. But she doesn't care. Um, we dress her up. We we have her all dressed. I say we like it's me. But <laughs> <laughs> my friend Heather has her all dressed up in the cutest little diapers and uh like clothing and little suspenders too she made suspenders to keep the the diaper up the diaper yes it is so cute but she doesn't know any different that's her life and she's just loved and has so much energy and so much spirit so if you're looking for an animal have time to give and love then we will post it i think i'm going to just repost directly from her from her okay, posting, because yeah, yeah. I think on her post, her post she has the links to like the Austin Bulldog Rescue. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Or if you just want to donate, also I forgot about that. If you just want to donate to Little Millie when it comes to diapers or any other need, like health uh, supplies she may need, because unfortunately with dogs that need a little extra love, they do need you know extra money to care for the animal so if you just want to donate we will post that also she will have it and i know she had posted it on facebook i could just reshare it yeah so you guys can scoop our facebook page and you can find it there mm-hmm. so which is at booze podcast on facebook mm-hmm. so yeah yeah so yeah thank you but anything else we need to uh we started talking about the book club mm-hmm. and then we which subjects um trying to think i I think that's it yeah i think for the book club i think right now just because we have so much going on and unfortunately with your grandfather and stuff um so i think this one we'll just leave for like text discussion and then next month once everything kind of settles down and everything we can do like an actual like zoom chat discussion just right now with how everything is and how i was sick and you know the things going on in your life i think right now just chat on facebook is the best way for this month for this discussion Mm -hmm. for sure i agree 
Yeah, and then once everything settles down, we can start scheduling Zoom discussions, and once we get into a new book, we can just discuss through Zoom and actually have, like, a chat with you guys through that. Yeah. Because I think that would be a lot of fun. When I was driving to go pick up Hercules (laughs) from his groomers, I was thinking about the book club. I'm like, man, the universe just told me, no, every, just, why? Why can I just have just smooth sailing for... Give me, like, two weeks. That would be great. <laughs> oh, good times. Good times. Oh, um, throwback to last week's episode with Randonautica, which was a really fun episode. I was messing around with it today. I, I was trying to find animal bones because I, I like to have them just so I can craft with them. And they kept sending me to someone's backyard. <laughs> Every single time I was thinking of bones, it kept sending me to this person's backyard. So I'm like... I hope it was just that Texas deer decor and Texas cow skull decor and not actually human bones in your backyard, sir. Cause, or Were ma'am. you able to... Did you peek through the the boards oh no i couldn't it was just like it was like on a hill like because we were in corpus oh so yeah it wanted you to go up up into like their yard and i'm like i'm not getting shot it's texas (laughs) that's true knock on the door um excuse me can i look at your backyard (laughs) (laughs) make sure you don't have human bones in here (laughs) oh yeah because you just said bones. You didn't specify animal bones. No, I just you? I was just thinking bones. Any bones at this point. And yeah. I swear, Sam, if next week or in a few months <laughs> we see news from Corpus. Human remains found, I'm going to be like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Um, and then right after we recorded that episode, I was on YouTube and I got recommended a video for Random Nautica. I sent it to you. But if you look up Randonautica on YouTube, Mm -hmm. Human Remains Found, someone was doing it, and she ended up finding cremated remains of someone Mm -hmm. in a jar, and she, like, freaked out. And, like, people were saying that in, like, 14 minutes into the video, that, like, you can hear someone, like, whisper, look around. And people were like, it's a ghost, it's a ghost! (laughs) Uh, But let me pull up her name if you guys want to watch that. Her channel is, it's just Richelle G, so R-I-C-H-E. E-L-L-E-G. And it's titled called Randonautica dash death found comma human. And she's also a paranormal investigator. So she's got some really cool videos on her channel that you guys could check around and dig around and watch if you want. But all right. Anything else we need to get out of the way or? I don't think so. I don't know. I mean, we did. I feel like we had our own discussion about news in the world before. <laughs> we were we were trying to think of, or discuss what to discuss right now, and then we ended up just talking about what we what, thought. What we, yeah. So you guys wouldn't have a genuine will, reaction, so we're probably not going to discuss that. But Yeah, I mean, the world is crazy. There's a lot of new There's cases enough. coming up, popping up, and being solved, and... I, uh, there's, I feel like every time I open Facebook, because I follow the last podcast, uh, on the left's Facebook mm-hmm. page, which is, there's some gems in there, but most of the time it's a dumpster fire. <laughs> <laughs> you have to sift through it all. But I feel like every time I log on Facebook, there's some craziness happening, like in the world, like an article, and it's just too much to keep up with. So, I don't know. Let's just stick to one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one today and this one's a doozy so <laughs> well let's get into but, it unless there's something you want to talk no, about no no i think we're ready um and we know when i do doozies they're doozies so i'm sorry um i will give you guys trigger warnings when we get to the points when i need to say trigger warnings but for now we're good until i warn you guys so this week we are traveling to the uk because I am doing the Oset Exorcist Murders. So, my resources are True Crime Enthusiasts, which I believe are a podcast, Crosswalk.com, which is a religious website, uh, a news.google for a newspaper for, from 1947 that I will link to you guys too so you guys can look at it because it's an actual news clipping of when this occurred, and then RealUnexplainedMysteries.com, Bedtime Stories, the YouTube channel, which I've used before. They're great. I love them. 
there is an old last podcast on the left article they did on this with a couple books linked, but I didn't really dig into it too much. So if you guys want to look at their stuff, you can definitely go ahead and do that. But this week we are traveling to the United Kingdom in 1974. So Oset is a market town near the city of Wakefield in the English county of West Yorkshire. Nothing about Oset would ever hint to the horrific horror it once housed. The Taylor family called the Oset district of Havercroft their home in 1974, and the family consisted of 31-year-old Michael Taylor, his wife Christine Taylor, and their five children and their family dog. The family in their home was a happy, loving household, which we hear all the time, and Michael in particular was described by those who knew him as mild-mannered, but generally kind and loving father and husband, which we hear all the time too. But like most people, even if we don't admit it, Michael was prone to minor bouts of depression, and it's speculated that this cause this was caused by a severe back injury he had received a number of years ago before, which had left him with chronic pain and an inability to find long-term employment. But as stated earlier, their household was still happy and loving, nothing amiss or unusual even with his small bouts of depression. In 1974, Oset had a highly religious population, and most people regularly attended church. But the Taylors... Wait, oh. I know what this is You now. know what it is. Mm-hmm. I knew you were going to know. <laughs> this one's pretty popular. <laughs> I was, but I was like, how did have I not... I, I'm very interested in exorcism cases, so I was thinking, how do I not know this? You knew it. But anyways, <laughs> continue. So you know. You know what the trigger warnings are going to be. <laughs> In 1974, Oset had a highly religious population and most people regularly attended church, but the Taylors had never been particularly devout. A friend suggested spiritual intervention may help with Mike- Michael's depression episodes, which, y'all, that's not how it works. And, like, I understand, like, putting your faith into something, but I detest the type of thinking that, like, church is going to solve mental health issues. That can give you hope and stuff, but it's not going to cure you, you know? Yeah, I feel that it should be paired. Mm-hmm. Like, your spirituality should be paired, or religion, when you're going through something, deep should be paired with some clinical, clinical help, psychological help also. It should not just be one thing. You you need, like, different outlets for sure. Anyways, but I know that time period wasn't really common for, like, mental health discussions. And even now it's still kind of, it's getting better. But even now sometimes it's still kind of weird to have those mental health discussions. So I understand why they kind of went straight for church just to think that it would help. So um, mm-hmm. a friend of Michael's named Barbara Wardman took it upon herself to introduce him to a church group called the Christian Fellowship Group, which was led by 21-year-old Pastor Marie Robinson. Michael had prob- pr- Michael had previously been non-religious soon, and soon began to attend regular meetings of the group, and he became an active member of the congregation. Are the red flag bells ringing yet? He became well acquainted with their teachings and quickly fell under the spell of the charismatic Marie Robinson. Michael began spending what seemed like an inappropriate amount of time with Robinson, attending more and more meetings and gatherings of the group, and joining Robinson in congregations where they would use, quote, the power of God to exercise people of their sins and speak in tongues. And I've personally witnessed someone speaking in tongues, and I do not dig it. Have you ever seen someone speak in tongues before? Unfortunately, no. And I say unfortunately... (laughs) Because in high school, uh, we, uh, I was in theater and we did a play called Handler, mm-hmm. which was the coolest play ever, not to, um, unbiased, but <laughs> it was about this. Oh, anyways, it was like, it took place like in a Pentecostal church. Mm-hmm. So we would watch a lot of videos on it and we would try to get into it and we wanted to go to a church to observe and so we can act, you know, act it accordingly. Yeah. But we never did, so I don't know. I don't know how I, I feel like I would be a little, just because I've never seen it before, I feel like I would, I don't know, feel a little, it would be a little unsettling to me, just because yeah, I'm no. not familiar. It's really unsettling. So I'll give you guys a little side note, and then I'll talk about what I saw. But, um, so the so in the Bible, tongues spoken on the day of Pentecost day, which is the day the Holy Spirit descends upon the disciples of Jesus, that day they were speaking real human languages. So a lot of people associate talking of tongues with speaking in another language to communicate. And this is a language that you don't have any recollection of. So that's like if you 
randomly just started talking like in Hebrew when you've never spoken Hebrew before. But some people also believe that the gift of speaking in tongues can include heavenly dialect, which is no human language we know. Now, when I witnessed, it was definitely not human languages, and it made me so uncomfortable. Um, and I'm not gonna leave na- I'm not gonna put names in because I I don't know if they listen or if people who know them listen, so I'm not gonna put their name in here. But so this person goes up to the pastor. And the pastor touches her her head and is kind of like mumbling some stuff. And all of a sudden, she just starts like yelling out words I've never heard before or sounds or whatever. And she starts convulsing and she just fell to the ground, passed out. And they were just like, it's the Holy Spirit in her. Like they were just, I, it was so weird. It felt so, obviously I'm not religious. So for me to witness something that I'm not completely 100% about, it was just, a weird experience and I just did not dig it at all but I'm not dissing anyone's religion if that's what they are I just don't understand it I don't understand how that works I don't understand anything about it so yeah I think that's what it is for me what triggers the mind mm-hmm. to do that mm-hmm. and how and why you know I believe it takes over your body and it's something you can't control. You want to be in that state. And like I've been in situations where I've been like I'm kind of forced into like a prayer circle a prayer circle. Um, Like I said I'm I'm atheist. I don't believe in anything so it's just very weird for me to be put like pushed into these situations but when I was younger I was put into a prayer circle and like something about everyone just surrounding me and like touching me I just burst into tears and I was like this makes me so uncomfortable I don't know what's going on like I don't know what you guys are thinking or saying but I just did not like that situation at all and it Mm -hmm. just I I think that's kind of what like repels me from I I enjoy listening listening and learning about other religions but I don't like being a part of them just because I get weird feelings and stuff about it, <laughs> which everyone's like, that's the religion speaking to you. And I'm like, I don't want it. I don't like it. I don't, no thank you. So, <laughs> but, huh, that's interesting. Just because I've always, I mean, I want to say I've always been in a church, but I never really felt moved or felt mm-hmm. anything, Yeah, you know? And that's just, and I would take that as me solely believing, mm-hmm. you know, just because I, I more sp- I spiritual, you know, I don't uh, subscribe to a religion, but I do believe in God and, um, and yeah, n- never in prayer have I like felt emotional and bust out into tears like some people have, and I, I usually think, okay, I'm missing out on something, but yeah, as someone who didn't want it and just like people were like murmuring around me and like I couldn't make out what they were saying, but it was just. I don't know if it was because I was in a very vulnerable state because I had just dealt with like my whole sexual assault thing. I was finally speaking about it. I don't know if it was just because I was in a vulnerable state that it affected me that way, but I did not want anything to do with it. And like the first chance I did, I like Hmm. got as far back away from it as possible. I just, I just refused. So I don't know. Religion is just weird. It's not, I wouldn't say weird. It's just, I don't understand it, I guess, but who knows Mm -hmm. anyways (laughs) we'll go back to the story because that was just such a quick (laughs) (laughs) um so michael began to engage in private rituals with robinson and they would stay up all night making the sign of the cross at each other in order to ward off what they believed was the evil power of the full moon in fact it soon became clear to the rest of the congregation that michael had become rather enamored with robinson so the red flags they're waving a little bit Michael's attitude at home towards his family began to change as a result. He was spending less and less time at home, and when he was, he was sullen and irritable and very argumentative. This was the character, this was a huge character change from the easygoing and peaceful way Michael used to be. Friends and family assumed that the church group was somehow exerting a negative influence on him. And Christian Taylor, his wife, was shocked by his character change the most, his increasingly bizarre beliefs, his erratic behavior, and, of course, she noticed the sudden infatuation and obsession with Robinson her husband had gained. To the point that during one congregation, Christi- Christine suddenly decided to publicly confront Michael about his relationship with Robinson and openly accused him in front of people of being unfaithful. Which, I'm like, that must have took some balls, like, just to in front of everybody mm-hmm. to do that. 
Uh, Michael also reported to have felt an evil influence cast a shadow over him and then compelled by this force suddenly attacked Robinson. He lashed out at her during a congregation and verbally and physically like attacked her to the point that several other of the church to the point that several other churchgoers to the point that several other churchgoers in the congregation had to physically restrain him and pin him down fearing that he would seriously hurt himself or someone else. Robinson herself later testified to what happened to what happened when Michael attacked her. Quote, "I suddenly glanced at Michael and his whole features changed. He looked almost bestial." He kept looking at me, and there was this really, this really weird look in his eyes. I started screaming at him out of fear. I started speaking in tongues. Mike, she calls him Mike. Mike also screamed at me in tongues. I was on the verge of death, and I seemed to come to my senses. I knew that the only name of Jesus would save me, and I started saying over and over again, Jesus. When Christine heard me calling the name of Jesus, she started saying it too, and I believe firmly that it was only by calling on his name that I was not killed. Unquote. Michael would later claim to have had no memory of the incident. Surprisingly, despite this frightful, violent outburst, the following day, Michael was given full forgiveness from Robinson for what happened. But none of the none of the rest of the congregation could forget the outburst, and Michael was closely watched following the episode. Which I wouldn't even let him back in the church, but I don't know if Robinson and him had such a connection that she was just like so easy to forgive. Because I feel like if that was someone else, she wouldn't have easily forgiven him. You know. Or it might be a result of the church environment in mm -hmm, general. That's true. It soon became apparent that his deteriorating out of character behavior seemed to now be permanent, and it was in fact getting worse as time went on. Uh, the seriousness and frightening condition that Michael was in was so severe that several local ministers became involved and came to the realization that Michael might be under the influence of demonic forces. It just drives me crazy that no one thought maybe he was going through a mental breakdown, but I understand time period and all that, you know. Finally, mm -hmm. the local vicar, which in the Roman Catholic Church is a representative or deputy of a bishop, came to the controversial conclusion that an exorcism should be performed on Michael. Two ministers by the name of Father Peter Vincent and Reverend Raymond Smith were brought in to carry it out, and the exorcism was set to happen at midnight for October 5th, 1974, at the St. Thames Church in Barnsley. And I read that, and I was like, why midnight? And I tried to find, like, more information to find out if midnight was, like, significant in any way of the time period. Because, like, if I was doing an exorcist, I wouldn't want it done at midnight. I wanted it at, like, 8 a.m. when it's nice and bright and sunny outside, and it's not the creepiest time possible, you know? But if anyone <laughs> knows that there's a significance to midnight and exorcisms drop us a line let me know because i couldn't yeah. find anything because that's a horrible time to start an exorcism <laughs> <laughs> that night in front of the congregation of the church of the christian fellowship group the two ministers began to attempt exercise him this lasted throughout the night and well into the next morning as soon as the exorcism had started michael went into un uncontrollable convulsions and fits and bouts of scratching spitting and biting this required him to be forcefully tied to the floor for over the next eight hours, Michael was subjected to all sorts of indignities, such as having crucifixes shoved into his mouth and being doused with holy water. All throughout, Michael was growling and snapping at anyone who came near him. The priest in charge of the exorcism claimed that the ceremony had managed to ascertain that there were about 40 demons inhabiting Michael's body, representing such traits as incest, bestiality, blasphemy, lewdness, heresy, matricism, and carnal knowledge. And these alleged demons did not go easily from Michael. Each one was reported to have been dragged out kicking and screaming. Which, that would be interesting to see a demon kicking and screaming. <laughs> um, but after eight hours of this, on October 6th at 8am, the priest carried out the exorcism could no longer continue through exhaustion. Strangely, it was decided that the exorcism would have to be finished at a later time. Although the Although the priest claimed that the three demons, those of insanity, anger, and murder, were still stubbornly possessing Michael and had not successfully been removed yet. Which, I didn't realize that was something you could just pause? Especially if it's insanity, <laughs> murder, and anger. Aren't those three of the worst to have in a person? Yeah, I mean, that would make sense on why it was so difficult to get them out and why they didn't get out in the first place. But you don't want to just leave them there. Yeah. Well, and we'll deal with it yeah, later. No, not... We'll just ho 
Hope he doesn't do anything. Yeah, the, the, yeah. anyways, I'm, I'm, I don't <laughs> do exorcism, so whatever, I guess. But <laughs> this... So this next part of me trips me up because as far as I recall, I thought exorcisms were done in little tiny groups, but it sounds like from the accounts, the whole congregation was there because one of the witnesses was the minister's wife named Marguerite Smith, and she was to claim later that she received a warning in her mind from who she believed was God, saying that the demons of murder were going to escape from Michael and kill Christine. She even pleaded with the two priests to complete the exorcism, but they dismissed her warnings and instead told Michael and Christine to go home and rest and prepare for the next and final part of the exorcism, which was to be performed the following day. Which, if you know these three... I'm, I'm just thinking, like, if I was in that situation, with if you know these three demons are still in the body, why wouldn't you keep them at the church, like, to rest at the church? Why would you send him home with his wife? True. And his children? Yeah, you- you would want them on constant watch. This is dangerous, you know? Anything yeah. can happen. So I'm just like, what? what is going on here? So now, whether these were really demons still infesting Michael's body or not, or whether he had succumbed to a full-on psychosis episode that maybe was brought on over the edge by the events of that night, I mean, I can't even imagine having, like, a crucifix shoved in your mouth and being doused in holy water. And I mean, that could totally break someone or what would follow the day that was just going to be filled with tragedy. So, that morning, a police car was patrolling the neighborhood at around 9.45, the next, which is October 7th, about two hours after Michael and Christine had been sent home to rest up to prepare for the next part of the exorcism. He came upon a shocking sight. Coming around the corner, the officer in the car, Ian Walker, was confronted by the sight of a man stumbling around in the middle of the street. He was naked and covered head to toe in blood. His body was slicked with it. He stopped the car and approached. Ian stopped the car and approached the man. Walker then saw the man curl into the fetal position and heard him ranting and screaming over and over, "It is the blood of Satan," which that would unnerve me so much. Oh my god, I would, I would be so terrified. Um, that reminds me. Real quick side note on experiences like that. My dad was patrolling one day and he had a call that some lady was out in mm-hmm. the median just laying in the grass and of course you know it's his job to go check up yeah. on people he went and you know asked her hey ma'am is everything okay and she just looks at him with this blank face and says i'm pregnant with satan's child oh, man uh, yeah he was like okay time to call <laughs> time to call for backup time to call uh kerrville that's the nearest uh, uh that's the nearest institution i think yeah he's like time to call them and let them know to make space because yeah like i understand like it's it's you know mental health and stuff like that but just that first initial like shock of someone just looking at you and saying that like that would unnerve me a little bit before I, like, get my gripping to be like, okay, I need to get this person help, you know? Like, well, thankfully he knew right away yeah, she yeah. needs help. This is beyond, but for an, a person who doesn't have to deal with that, that would be super traumatizing, yeah, be like, I think. Because for me, mixing, real, like, demons and exorcisms and just anything that can attack your psych you know your mind and take over that that to me Mm -hmm. is terrifying so anything demon and devil related (laughs) oh scares me i am i don't even know how to say the rosary but i try i'm like nope lighting my candles get away maybe that's why ghosts don't like me because i put a big enough shield (laughs) not coming near me yeah (laughs) Okay, so, unsurprisingly, this had attracted a crowd of onlookers, which, unfortunately, stuff like this always does. Um, And some of them even knew Michael, so they let the officers know who the man was. So So, the police officers who approached the man immediately called for an ambulance, fearing that Michael had hurt himself or someone else, and they tried his best to talk to him and calm him down. But he was still screaming and senseless, ranting only about satan and he continued screaming it is the blood of satan as the ambulances from the local hospital arrived Mm. and he was placed into it and taken away so thankfully you know they did take him to a hospital right away but the crowd of onlookers who had crowded around the ambulance now told police you know his name and gave him the address to which the patrol car sped to walker upon the arrival of the taylor's house was surprised and perhaps apprehensive to find a police car already there 
and he later found out that it had been summoned by a frightened neighbor who had heard a commotion earlier. Walker approached the house, but was stopped by the sight of his inspector emerging from the front door, bending over and vomiting. Which I told Matt, because I actually ran this story through Matt on our way back um, from fishing today, just to kind of get his idea. And I'm like, I can't even imagine you see an investigator, like, come out of a house and just vomit. You know something horrific is in there for seasoned people who see stuff like this all the time to just lose it. Mm -hmm. So he said, the investigator, quote, said, quote, You don't want to see this one, son. I've seen nothing like it before, and I've seen a few. It's the wife. She's got no... He ripped at her son. It's a right mess in there. There's not much of her left. You don't want to see it, eh? Feeling that he had to go in, Walker Mm. stepped into the Taylor house to see exactly what had upset his inspector. The interior of the room was destroyed with signs of destruction to the furniture and possessions. Blood covered every surface of the room, along with flesh, pulp, and brain matter, and on the floor of the living room lay the bodies of Christine Taylor and the family pet dog, almost unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. The blood that had covered Michael Taylor was Christine's blood, unfortunately, and at 9.30 that morning in the Taylor family home, Michael had killed his wife, Christine, the woman that he had loved and the mother of his children. Okay, and this is where we're going to get into the trigger warnings, because it's fucking brutal. So if you don't want to hear it and you can't handle details, I would skip like 30 seconds. In a deranged attack, Michael had stripped off and strangled Christine. There was no murder weapon involved. He did this all with his bare hands. He gouged out her eyes, ripped out her tongue, and tore the rest of her face down to the bone, so much that she was left unrecognizable. While Christine had died of shock and asphyxiation, Michael then turned his attention to the family pet dog. And again, trigger warning. He strangled it and literally ripped it limb from limb. He tore its legs from their sockets and hair and teeth and eyes from the skull. He then left the house screaming and was found by Walker a short time later. I just, with your bare hands, like, I I, I can't. And I'm like, I'm like Mm. touching my face trying to figure out how you would do that. And I just don't understand how you would get a grip. Like, I, I can't wrap my mind around how someone can do that. Physically and, like, mentally, just the capability to just do it, you know? I know. Oh, my God. And the fact that she died from Mm -hmm. asphyxiation, her, she was Mm -hmm. alive when he ripped out her tongue. Yeah, like, that's one of the most horrible ways Mm -hmm. to go. I cannot. It was described as being the most horrific crime scene that any police officer who attended it was ever to see. Michael was taken into police custody from the hospital and when interviewed some hours later, he was deemed rational to talk, and he was asked to try to explain what had happened. He told Detective Inspector <laughs> he told Detective Inspector Brian Smith about the exorcism that occurred only hours before, saying, quote, "It was a long night. They danced around me and burned my cross because that was tainted with evil. They had me in the church all night. Look at my hands. I was banging on the floor. The power was in me." I couldn't get rid of it, and neither could they. They were too late. I was compelled by a force within me to destroy everything living within the house. Um, And I will put in here that the kids were okay. The kids were not affected by this. So it was just Christine and the dog that were affected. Or or murdered. Well, they were physically affected, I'm sure. (laughs) Long-term effects. Oh, yeah. Although he appeared to have no motive for his actions, Michael was charged with the murder of Christine and was remanded and was moved to Broadmoor Security Hospital in Berkshire to await trial. While on remand, Michael was reported to have spent most of his time in silence or sleeping. The crime was a sensation and it made a media frenzy, and the blood and the bloody crime coupled with the, with the background of the exorcism and the alleged demonic possession drew a huge amount of interest to his upcoming trial. Michael's trial for the murder with Christine, of Christine began in March 1975, so a year later. Neither prosecution nor defense denied at the trial that Michael had severe mental issues, and Michael himself testified again, claiming that he had no recollection of the actual killing and that he had deeply loved his wife. He stated that he had been under the control of evil supernatural forces and that he had had suspected that Christine had also (laughs) been possessed by demons. He offered no other explanation. Why did I hiss like that? What was that? (laughs) I was like, okay, I'm glad you heard it because I heard it. Am I getting possessed? But uh, (laughs) I I thought maybe it was just my ears. Okay. (laughs) It was like a whistle. Like it sounded like a whistle. (laughs) 
<laughs> the main focus of his defense was the discredi- discrediting of the Christian fellowship group and the angelic and met- Methodist priests who carried out the exorcism. Mr. Ognall for the defense claimed that the Christian fellowship prayer group was actually more of a fanatical cult and he had managed to influence Michael by using potent mind control and indoctrine, feeding his already existing mental issues. Now, I'm not going to diss the cult theory because just the way it was going, it seemed a little culty. But I don't know how the whole church worked completely. But... Mm. I remember from what I recall listening, because I, I did listen to the last podcast episode, and it, I'm really bad at retaining information, as y'all all know, but yeah, it did have the way very it culty like, vibes. Their rituals and stuff. I Well, for this woman yeah. specifically, she was a very um, charismatic leader, which that's the mm-hmm. number one recipe for a cult. You need a charismatic yeah. And he leader. was very vulnerable already when he came into the church, so... Mm-hmm. The blame was also put on the exorcism itself, and prosecutors claimed that the ritual had taken its toll on the already mentally disturbed man, and coupled with the warped religious ideals and beliefs that the prayer group had instilled in him. These negative influences also pushed Michael over the edge into a realm of madness and murder. So, the jury found Michael not guilty of the murder of his wife by reason of insanity, and deemed to be both clinically and legally insane. He was sent to Broadmoor Secure Hospital where he would remain for how many years do you think? Three? Is something ridiculous? Two. Ah, that was close. I knew it was something <laughs> like no walk in a park compared to yeah. his murder. Yeah. So follow but he was followed by another two year sentence at Bradford Royal Infirmary before being released back into the world apparently cured. So four years. That that's it. I don't... The aftermath of the trial was a public outcry over the use of exorcism within the church, and indeed this became the last recorded exorcism to be carried out by the Anglican Church. The church defended themselves in the full. Throughout the trial and the years following, the chief Angelicus priest who had been in charge of Michael's exorcism, Potter, Father Peter Vincent, continued to insist that Michael Taylor had indeed been inhabited by demons and that the Osset case had indeed been an authentic case of demonic possession. Father Vincent's career in the church was unaffected following the case, and even he seemed to be almost having little consideration for the family destroyed. He would simply say, God will bring good out of this in his own way. It was only Peter Vincent's partner in the exorcism, Reverend Raymond Smith, that seemed to admit that the situation had not been handled well and that the the exorcism had indeed failed. He was quoted as saying, If people come to me in trouble of any kind, I will try to help. I will give such comfort as I can, but I am only an ordinary human being with human failings. After his release from the hospital, it was reported that Michael went back to live in Oset, which kind of surprises me, because wouldn't you be worried that someone would recognize you? Mm-hmm. But who knows? I don't know. Yeah. And it also makes me wonder, like, did his kids stay in Oset? Like, is there even a relationship left? I can't even imagine being able to forgive my parent for doing something like that. I'm always interested in the aftermath of crimes, mm-hmm. the people that are affected by it, what ha- happened to them, where they are, how they are. But that side note. Um, so if you t- there's a new podcast. Oh, it's not new, but um, I survived has a podcast now, and it mm-hmm. is women retelling their tales of like their survival, which is there's a lot of like rape stories in there like survival stories of rape and like being kidnapped and stuff but they talk about like the aftermath of what happened and i think that would really interest you because Hmm. it is amazing it is so good but it's just i survived it's a woman on the cover like half of her face you'll see it it's so good i'll have to check it out thanks um okay so going back so unfortunately michael continued to display odd behaviors and to suffer from bouts of depression as well as making a total of four suicide attempts over the following years Another small trigger warning, you can jump like th- five seconds because it's, it's very quick, but uh, if needed. So these attempts involved cutting his wrist and then jumping off a bridge in which he badly injured his back and legs, and he dropped mm-hmm. out of the news and the public eye for many years. But again, he would enter the news in July of 2005 when he was arrested for sexually harassing and having inappropriate conduct with an underage girl. Mm. I know. You're shaking Trash. your head. Yep. <laughs> During his court hearing on these charges, Taylor was said to have told police that it was all his fault and then said, am I going to Broadmoor for murdering my wife? Which is really weird to me. 
What did he... Wait, I'm going to what more? He said, am I going to Broadmoor for murdering my wife during the trial of the underage girl? <laughs> Maybe he felt his sentence wasn't long enough. I don't know. I, I, I have no idea why, but... Taylor spent a week in custody over the sexual assaults, and during his stay, the psychiatrist, the psychi- psychiatric problems that existed in 1975 and 1974 manifested themselves once again. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Upon being bailed, however, they had disappeared. So bail hits, they're gone. His previous charges from 30 years before were deemed to have no bearing on the current case, and he was deemed to have a low to medium risk for reoffending. It just drives me fucking crazy because this led to a relatively light sentence of, th- of three-year stint of community service with the condition of psychiatric treatment. Wow. I'm sorry, but a medium risk and you're just going to give them community service? Like, excuse me? It's an interesting... It's interesting because we usually critique the... You know what, I'm not even going to say it. I'm thinking, (laughs) now that I'm thinking out loud, it's clicking. I'm like, okay, we usually talk about, so here in the United States, we are known for incarcerating people. Like, we put them away, and we believe that over rehabilitation. We don't believe in rehabilitation. Our our system sucks. I, I will just flat out say that. Our system sucks. But... I when we when we critique the that system, it is on the basis of it targeting certain types of people. However, whenever I critique the prison system here and what we do here, that does not apply to those who commit sexual assaults or sexual crimes or crimes against children or murder against <laughs> brutal murder against your wife or your anybody so that's just my little PSA and I know other countries and stuff are more focused on rehabilitation but that community service for that like I just uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm just like interesting crazy anyways um where was I so the case of Michael Taylor and the Oset Exorcist murders re- murder raises many questions for debate, obviously. Um, and the main one being, could someone who committed such a horrific crime be well enough to rejoin society within four years? And like I said, I don't know what went on while he was at these psychiatric places. I don't. Maybe they figured something out. But for him to then just, when he was in this new case, to just automatically they come back up and then he gets bail and they're gone. Mm-hmm. That makes me really suspicious. You know? Yeah. Because things like that just don't pop up whenever and go away whenever you want. Like, you are fighting with them your whole life. So, and then it's also the other discussion of was he really possessed and can demons force you to kill someone if they please? Um, Did no one else close to him think maybe it was a form of psychosis before jumping to exorcism? Like I said, we just, we weren't there. We don't know what Mm -hmm. people were seeing. So, it's, there's a lot of questions about it. But regardless, five children lost their mother in a horrific way, and they'll never forget it. And how do you even begin to rebuild your life in such a horrific event? Like, and I think that's that's one of the biggest focuses too. Like his poor children, the, the, the poor children now, you know, have to grow up basically without both of their parents and find a way just to continue after something so horrific and so awful. So, and it is, I believe. I believe-ish it is possible to uh, recover and to work on yourself after if you are a a victim of uh, deep, deep mental uh, illness and find yourself in a situation, you can't come back from that because depending on where you are, if you're in the United States, you're fucked. But if you're (laughs) lucky enough to be in another country, (laughs) uh, such as Canada, remember the case, and I know we've talked about it on here before, the case uh, where that younger man had attacked someone and killed them by... The Greyhound bus? Yes, Yes. on the Greyhound bus. Uh, He, that was a result, and that was kind of... People were thinking, oh, you know, possession, like, how did he do that? Or some something took over him. But I think he was diagnosed with schizophrenia, mm-hmm. and he did get out of per, uh, whatever he had went into. I don't think it was prison, but I know he's out. He stopped out. taking his medication, didn't he? He either stopped or he got, or he didn't, 
have it or have it to begin yeah. with. Yeah. But I do know that he is on some sort of medication and has, you know, recovered from that. And that's the yeah. only example. Like, that's an example I think of. Well, I mean, right there's, there's a difference between playing the system because you don't fully have something. And then there's a difference between truly having something and struggling and trying to figure mm-hmm. something out. Like with uh, Juan Corona, like he knew he had something. He was looking for help, but he ended up getting shock treatment instead, and it just completely spiraled him into mm-hmm. killing a bunch of people because he just didn't have that resource and that help for it. So I'm not completely – I'm not saying, oh, because you have this, you know you're going to go and kill a bunch of people. That's not oh, how no. that works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I just – it just wasn't handled correctly to begin with, and – Mm-hmm. Who knows if he ended up getting an under wrap while he was, you know, living his life and got medication for it. And then when this whole thing came up again with uh, the underage girl, he was just like, I, I can just act it and use it to cover myself, you know? Yeah. You just don't know. But, yeah, that second case is very, I think he played the system a little bit, sir, on that second case. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is a good, uh observation there where are you playing the system or really suffering which i think i i think in mindhunter they do talk about that about assessing whether or not uh for instance like Dahmer had a mental illness or if he mm-hmm. was completely aware of what he was doing and he according to my the book he was completely aware of what he was doing mm-hmm. yeah it's just I think, and I think a lot of these cases and these issues are huge things of just mental health, like mental health that was not checked on and mental health that was not taken care of. That's why I'm always like, guys, go see a therapist, go talk to someone. Like mental health is so important to get under wraps and to control and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It really is. Yeah. Make sure you get your mental health checked. Uh, hope that or be thankful you didn't have a major head injury as a child. <laughs> um, make sure, <laughs> hopefully, make sure your relationship with your mom is straight. Like mm-hmm. make <laughs> we sure have you're not a, playing with fires, <laughs> <laughs> killing animals. We have a whole whole little uh, check list of check boxes you can go through. Make sure you're yeah. in the clear. <laughs> long bedwetting, long past you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, that's that's the OSET case. So thank you. I always, you know, I love me a good exorcism story. I know when you covered yours, the one with the bad audio. What was that? Thirty forty episode forty. Mm-hmm. You jogged my memory of this case, and I'm like, I gotta do it. I know it's been done a bazillion times. There's so many podcasts on it, but no, but I'm it's like, I want to do it. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you did. Yeah, actually, when I was researching this. Um, I found another article of this man in 2017, and he, trigger warning, again, next 30 seconds, he was with his girlfriend, and his girlfriend said her ex-husband's name while they were having sex, and he literally shoved his arm up her uterus and ripped out her intestines. What? Yeah. Yeah, your face when I read that <laughs> that was my same reaction and I was in the car with Matt and I oh read it my and, he, God. and he was like what the fuck and I was like what like what so I can't, I, I can get I can get the name for you if you want to I was just like what because I was trying to figure, remember his name I'm like what is this dude's name and I googled and I was like oh no that is not Wait, so can I Google this story yet? Are you yeah, you can Google. Google it. Yeah, you can look at his face. Because yeah, I know, because, oh, I know. Remember, I'm reformed now. Um, back before this podcast, I used to be really bad at sitting, being stuck in traffic <laughs> and Googling real quick. Yes. I don't do that anymore because I'm not stuck in traffic anymore. But anyways, <laughs> I remember Googling his face because I, I, I felt like I needed to know what this woman looked like. This woman who had this man all uh hold on let me see all he does not look like a man capable of doing that at all this man in this entanglement i've been waiting to use that word (laughs) oh yeah because yeah his the bald dude he's bald right yeah and then that case that i told you guys about with the intestines is fidel lopez um Uh. and this happened in florida in august 4th of 2017 but he did get i believe he got life in prison so wait 
When was it, 2017? Uh, yeah, August 4th, 2017. And his name was Fidel Lopez, F-I-D-E-L-L-O-P-E-Z, and he was 26. But when I read that, I was like, no fucking way. And there's more to it. I just don't want to go into that because it, it's really bad. Mm-hmm. But I believe she was passed out, thank- thankfully. But but I'll post pictures of Michael and his wife and his family and stuff like that. And Well, not his kids, obviously, but I'll, I'll post pictures of Michael. And I'll make sure to give you guys the uh, news link articles and post them on boozepodcast.com, which is our website. And I don't think we have any other updates on mortuary or um, <laughs> not embalming um taxidermy no i haven't right not yet okay. i just forgot what i'm gonna do with my two current rats oh i bought a gator head <laughs> oh yeah that's right i did see that why are you you don't like the light inside what are you gonna do with it? Take it out. i don't know i just i mean right now i have them like with the light still in my bedroom but the light's kind of weird to me like there's just a gator head with a light coming out of its mouth <laughs> i like it it's just ridiculous maybe that's why i do dig it like i don't i dig it but then i don't so i'll figure out if i'm gonna take the light out I, or not but i dig yeah. it vote now <laughs> if you think we'll do a poll <laughs> we'll do a poll yeah I'm, you'll have to stage it too where it would be yeah, with the light yeah. yeah he's on my little like nightstand um well not my nightstand but like my dresser he's just chilling there with a bunch of plants Mm -hmm. so i mean he fits with the theme of our bedroom so Ooh, that'd be cool with all these plants around him like he's peeking (laughs) out and then a little light boop (laughs) Boop. yeah yeah i might keep the light and i don't know we'll see but yeah i don't know matt was like please stop buying dead things and i already had the gator shipping and i was like okay Did Matt not know about this before he married you, or is this a new love that you that I that you just happened to find when you found me? Also, I, yeah, I think you sparked the love I had deeply oh, seated no. in, within myself. <laughs> no, I think because I've always like been okay. So when I was younger, I det- like I detested taxidermy. Like I thought it was disgusting. I thought it was awful. I thought it was horrible. Like. Same with, like, hunting and, like, fishing. And, like, I was so very, like, anti all of that stuff. And now I'm over here fishing and, like, Mm -hmm. telling Matt, go hunting, you know. Go enjoy yourself and stuff. Well, you're in Texas now. Well, yeah. Even, yeah, I think maybe Texas (laughs) did it. (laughs) I don't know. Like, things with, like, wet specimens and stuff. I hated it. I thought it was, like, wrong. And then I think once I started dabbling more into, like, mortuary school and realizing and learning about different processes, I realized, okay, like, this is more of like a respect thing, more of a preserving, more of giving a second life versus people just killing stuff to kill it because that's not how any mm. of this is done. And I, I don't know, I think just realizing that appreciation and having that, knowing the, the beauty of death and just wanting to give stuff a second chance and a second life, I think Mortuary School and this podcast really kind of just helped me hone into that. So that's mm-hmm. kind of what I'm doing. So yeah, and so it's, it's like a new new love (laughs) but it's always been like something that i never if you told me five years ago from now that i was gonna have a whole bunch of like like a fetal coyote pup and like a mole and a quail and all this other stuff i'd be like fuck no like i would never do that stuff and now i got like a little room and stuff so awesome surprise Surprise, (laughs) i mean he puts up with it but he's like please no more like no more so i'm gonna have to find the rats a new home and then, <laughs> and then I'll get two more rats, and then I'll do those, and we'll just go from that process. So, so you want a rat? Well, my home, <laughs> my home. I was gonna say my home is open to your hobbies, <laughs> and <laughs> if you ever want to just store something here and take it back, you oh, just totally wait for your that. Christmas <laughs> presents this year. <laughs> Hopefully, if the world doesn't end by then, knock on wood. I know. Yeah, we'll see. Hey, we'll make it work, even if. <laughs> There'll be, like, fires everywhere, and we'll be like, here's your Christmas present. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dropping it in our hazmat suits. This is suits. fine. This is like, fine. <laughs> yeah. It'd be that meme, the this is fine meme, but with both of us at the table. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that's, that's, that's it, right? It. That's all, folks. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. Oh my god, why am I hissing so much? I didn't even hear you that time. I was <laughs> all I heard was 
Thanks, God. I was like, what is she doing? <laughs> I'm speaking in tongues. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thank you so much for tuning into episode 42. You can find us on all our socials at Booze Podcast, which is B O O Z. I feel like I'm in a spelling bee. Uh, P O D C A S T. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, and we will catch you next time. Stay boozy. Bye.